Hello and welcome back to the We Need Therapy podcast. On today's episode, we take a look at social media and the projection that we put out there to other people. And we discuss the role that social media plays during the breakdown of our relationships. We do have a content warning for this episode as it does discuss some themes of emotional abuse. As always, thank you for listening and please like and leave us a review on whatever platform you're using. Enjoy the show. Oh, finally, someone respectable back on the show. <laughs> I know. We had very good feedback from the last time this guest joined us, and I'm very happy to reintroduce to our audience, Ash. I'm surprised you let me back. Well, to be honest, we got so much good feedback. I'm considering rebranding this show and just breaking away with you, oh, cutting the dead weight. Cutting Jordan out. Too much depression, too much sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go back to your racism episode? <laughs> No, we're, we're very, very pleased to have you back. We had a lot of great feedback about a female point of view. So we are hoping that you can provide that and more today on oh, our show. No, I'm happy to be back. I definitely feel like we didn't deep dive into much last time. So happy to be back and give it another go. How did you feel listening back to your episode? I've never listened to it back. Josh has been trying to get me to listen back to my episode for weeks now. Um, but I just can't. It's too cringe for me. I can't listen to my own voice and be talking so, about things. So we bring on our one fan and follower onto the show and we actually lose that follower and, and fan for having her on the show. I know. Exactly. I'm not listening to this episode either. <laughs> our, our listen rates really went down. It went from one to zero. No, but I've got a work colleague that um, listens to you religiously. He gives me a lot of feedback weekly on, oh, yeah. on the podcast. Well, He's, some of the stuff that he's been saying. He's, he's a big fan, but he's also, he's a little bit critical sometimes, but he's always got some constructive feedback. Um, how come none of this ever reaches us? Are you protecting us? From <laughs> yeah, what yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us how he really feels. No, no. He, he loves you guys. He th- he thinks you're funny. He thinks but. you're relatable. No, he's, and he's a therapist himself. So obviously he can relate to some of the things you guys say, but he, he likes vulnerability. And, um, well, he must love this show because it's basically me shooting down my co-host until he's in shreds. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. No, that's true. I think he just, you know, resonates with some of your more vulnerable episodes and not every episode can be vulnerable, can it? No, I suppose not. <laughs> well, well, we'll try our best today just okay. for him. So this episode is a deep dive into Jordan and Josh's emotions. And yours. <laughs> Let's not leave you out of this. Oh God. So what's been happening this week? Well, it's great that I've actually got both of you in the room right now because you're number one and two in terms of female advice. That, actually, maybe you're number one, Ash, in terms of female okay. advice I go to. Fair. Jordan, I never talk to you about females because you just give me absolutely nothing. A very quizzical look at all times. So me and Ash put on a bit of a bet the other week. Ash is really desperate for me to start dating people. I am. Um, I think we all are. <laughs> to the point where, you know, I'm willing to give it a go, willing to put myself out there. Are they? <laughs> but the, the, the issue is like, I, I just can't really be bothered or I just don't have the time or energy to invest into that. So I said to Ash, I need some form of motivation to get me on the apps, to get me willing to meet with people and go on dates. And so what was the uh, ultimatum that you put on me? Oh, uh, you would shave your head unless you go on a date this month? Uh, by the end of March. By the end of this March? This is such a, a therapist smart goal style setup. By the end of March, Josh will go on one date with an alive human being. <laughs> Do they have to be alive when the date started or just 
I don't think you fully committed to the risk of shaving your head, though. I think he's halfway gone because I saw some male pattern <laughs> baldness. I don't know if that was him attacking it with a razor blade or evolution doing its thing. Well, That's actually, true. I'm going to the hairdresser today just to somehow, you know, clump everything back together. Okay. You know, Josh and I go to the same hairdresser, by the way. Really? Yes. Who we- copied who? Well, oh, Jordan dragged me along. No, I had some, I had some style, class, and sophistication, and I obviously looked at Josh and went, "Wow, you could do with a bit of that as well." Mm-hmm. So I got him an appointment, and he's never looked. Back. I got him an appointment. Well, it's a public space; like anyone they can don't, get an appointment. They don't accept new clients all the time. Yeah, you just go on the website and you click, click, click. No, but that hairdresser is very specific with okay. who he takes on. Oh, okay. The hottest clubs, the hottest hairdressers. He's the salon manager. Oh, he owns it. So you should be very thankful for that. Oh, yeah. Jordan will get you in. <laughs> I think I want to be in. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us your story. What happened? Yeah. So I've been on Hinge the last two weeks and someone- Did act- you say you've been unhinged for the last two weeks <laughs> or your whole life? <laughs> I've been on Hinge. Hinge oh. is a straight dating app. Okay. That's sorry. why it's not in your vernacular. And this girl added me back and I don't want to give away too much about what she does, but she does work in the healthcare space. And she messages me and says, I'm pretty sure there's a picture of you in my office. Oh Oh, my God. I know who you are. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) It's just everywhere, isn't it? Your face. It's a bit sickening. Okay. And did that work in your favour or not in your favour? I thought it did for a bit because we talked for a bit, added each other on the socials and she's kind of ghosted me now. Right. Okay. At Uh, what point? At what point did she ghost you? Were you talking for a bit? Talking for a bit and we were having a conversation on Instagram, added her on Instagram. Maybe that's what turned her away actually. What, your Instagram page? My Instagram page, yeah. (laughs) Why? Why would it though? I don't know. You tell me as a female. What would I think looking at your Instagram page if I just met you on an app, started talking, looked at your page? Look, there could be so many other variables here. You never know. She could be dating someone else and interested in somebody else, which is, you know, we can't attribute it to your Instagram. But I think think there's some red flags on there, though. (laughs) Particularly like you you present a very festival-focused kind of person. True. There's a lot of bucket hats True. and kind of like bubble wands, so to speak. <laughs> bubble wands. Yeah, it's a lot of that like live, laugh, love attitude. Like my life is really gnarly at the moment. It is pretty gnarly. You do have a big social media presence and I've been talking about Just this. Just not a following. <laughs> I've been talking about this lately with one of my girlfriends who's downloaded Hinge recently and has been looking at Instagrams and things. So she really likes somebody with a big social media presence who has a big following. And she was saying that one of the icks for her is if somebody doesn't have that many followers. That's and probably where I'm going wrong. Absolutely. I, well, I'm personally the opposite. I think if I see someone has less of a following, I would think, okay, they're more down to earth, they're more relatable. They're not too into like their ego and their appearance. Yeah, I kind of get that too if I'm looking at a female. Mm. Yeah. A big following is like a red flag for me. And Mm. I would actually say that you do have a big following compared to the average person and a big social media presence. So What? I would assume that Josh had a very small following. What is your following? No, (laughs) I think gay world, straight world is very different to compare. Yeah, Yeah. I would agree. Basically anything under five thousand in the gay world is considered small. Mm. And I don't have five thousand by the way. But how how many do you have? About five hundred. Okay. Not that big. Yeah, I I think I'm the same, but 
I follow like a lot of different pages, like fashion pages or like health and wellness pages. So it, some people would find it an ick that I have, I follow more people than my actual following. Oh, yes. Oh, I've is heard that about this you? before. Yeah. Hey, oh, okay. So that was my friend's ick when they have so many people that they're following, but then a small amount or smaller amount of followers themselves. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm following less people than followers, but that's just because I don't care about other people. Right. Okay. Have you done a bit of a cull there, Josh? Um, no. I Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I did a cull of people who, you know, I haven't caught up with within three years, then I'll delete them off Instagram. That makes sense. But if you are traveling and you know that you're going to be traveling around the world again, don't you keep those people so you can like basically have free accommodation in Spain or... Yeah, no, I do. But maybe if I look back to 2016, when I did that big trip, because most of them were Aussies, I've probably deleted most of them because they're not really going to add any value to my life. Mm. Basically, if you've got that international passport, baby, I'm all in on your socials. Exactly. I don't think I ever delete people or maybe the, that I'm following mm, not really mm. I just yeah. tend to gather it as I go I guess for me like a big steam train I don't like to spend time on timelines or stories so by deleting people that aren't relevant to my life mm-hmm. it keeps me it quarantines that for me mm. I guess one thing and it could be the Instagram itself but what about sometimes if you're on a dating app and someone asks you to exchange Instagrams too soon or too quick it can be a bit of an ick as well. When when did you ask for her Instagram or did she ask you? Um, I said, I think probably about five days to a week. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's an all right time. Can I, I just say to... in the gay world, it's the opposite of that. You mm. would swap Instagrams within the first 15 minutes of talking. Wow. So yeah, you, you would never wait. In fact, if you don't have your Instagram linked to your profile, whether it's like, you know, Grindr or Tinder, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't offering it up, I basically wouldn't talk mm, to you after really? about half an hour. Wow. Because it's like, what are you hiding? F- for me, Instagram is so public and yeah. a lot of people use it as a representation mm. of who they are or who they want the world to see them as. So if they're not forthcoming with it, it's like, okay. Mm, what? It's a bit of a red You want flag. me to develop real emotions with you before you <laughs> like show me this fake version of yourself? I don't think so. Yeah. Not on my watch. And have you ever gotten someone's Instagram from them and then, com- you know, completely said at that moment, no, I'm not meeting up with them. Absolutely. What What was the ick? <laughs> I'm still getting used to the word ick. Um, basically, I think if they're presenting a version of themselves on a hookup app that is very, uh, might be very sexy or a certain body type or they're into a certain thing and then you go on their Instagram and it's totally different or they have a lot more photos of themselves and they look very different, mm. then I think it's just like, I don't know which version of is, them is true, but I'm more inclined to believe that Instagram is more reflective mm-hmm. rather than like a, you know, a unique kind of pigeonholed hookup app, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. You can get more information about someone and who they are from their Instagram than their dating app. For yeah. Sure. Definitely, yeah. But then Cat, I guess that, that leads into the question of like, are our Instagrams representative of our lives? Mm. You know, Ash is yours. I would say that I don't post a lot. I'm someone who gets a bit of posting anxiety, if I'm terribly honest. Okay. Um. So when... I'm obviously in a relationship now, but years ago when I was on the dating apps, I did link it to my Instagram and I think I would keep it a bit more relevant and up to date just because I did have that additional pressure of dating and meeting people through apps like Tinder or Bumble or whatever. And so I actually liked seeing what a person was like through their 
profile. So I thought, okay, I've got to keep mine up to date and get new photos. And if a photo was like a year old, then I would think, oh, I have to get rid of that one. To get oh, like really? A new. Oh, yeah, really? definitely. I don't want to um, like catfish someone. Interesting. I, I, I agree. I, the first few photos on Instagram, you know, you always swipe through, have a look what they're like, what they do. But I, n- I never thought of deleting old photos. I have seen it done before. Yeah, well. But I think we all have, you know, when someone's in a relationship or they move on from that part of their life, I've seen people clear their grid Mm. before just Mm. as a like, I don't know, maybe it's a kind of fuck you or Mm. maybe it's they don't want that reminder, but I've seen huge parts of people's lives disappear. Mm. And I don't know if anyone's noticed, and we're all kind of around 30 here, but younger people in particular can often just have three or four photos on their Instagram. Have you seen that? Mm. And they just keep uploading and replacing mm. those three or four photos. It's a really common thing that happens. So like so the entire grid, you mean? Yeah. Is, yeah. Well, Kanye delete. West. Kanye West does that. Post deletes. Post deletes. Well, Britney Spears famously. She is, I think, you know, she's in need of mental health assistance. Let's put it that way. The things that she does is she posts videos four or five times, deleting, mm. re-uploading, deleting, re-uploading. Mm. The it's, same dancing videos four times, yeah. yeah. Can Instagram be like a, a cry for help, do you think? Oh, 100%. She's, for sure. She's definitely in a cry for help. And didn't it start with, um, you know, before I guess she was, you know, it was found out that she was you know, trapped in that conservatorship. Mm. Didn't she post a comment about, or if somebody, a fan posted a comment saying, if you're in trouble, wear yellow in your next video. And she did. Mm. But I think that was later discovered to just be a coincidence Uh. because there's thousands of people commenting like, you know, do that or enter through the right or come through the left of the, you know, yep. of the floor. And, of course, she's going to do one of those things. There's right? a high chance of a coincidence. I see what you mean. You're yeah. a true Britney fan. I am a true Britney <laughs> fan. And um, I even said once on when someone asked me if I wanted to, what three people would I meet dead or alive for a dinner party? I said Britney. Yeah. Because I want to know if she is, you know, what is her current mental state. I kind of want to be face to face before I make that judgment. I would be severely traumatized if I went through what she went through. So yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she's going through some severe flare up of her, you know, mental illness. Yeah, absolutely. Britney Spears is really um, interesting to me because it's almost like she rejects the pressure of um, tailoring and curating her Instagram because she basically posts everything, unedited videos, glamorous parts of her life, very, you know, on the opposite spectrum, very real and raw parts of her life. And for someone who's one of the most followed people on social media, she probably has about 50 million, mm. uh, maybe 70 million, mm. I'm not sure. It's very strange for an A-list celebrity to be so raw like mm, that. Mm. I I would theorise that when she was 16, younger, um, you know, everything was so monitored and curated by her team. She had to project this perfect image of herself and be this total American sweetheart, not to be, you know, be sexy, but not be too sexy and, you know, be sweet and, you know, be a role model for younger girls. She had so much pressure on her shoulders to curate this certain picture, you know, don't put on too much weight that... um, 
she probably felt really restrained. Mm. And now I think this is just her total rebel to that. And, exactly. you know, she, she's just like, hair undone, makeup smeared. You know, this is my body. This is who I am. This is me being a bit silly and crazy. Here's um, my, you know, me dancing, whatever. She'll put whatever out there because it's just like an extreme rebellion to what she had to go through when she was younger. And we saw the same thing with Miley Cyrus, right? Yeah. She came up through the Disney Channel, mm. highly curated and protected brand. Mm. And now... Now, well, not now, but 10 years ago, she went through that stage of yeah. that Robin Thicke video, yep. the, the, what was it, the tongue movements and the big foam hand. She just smashed that image mm. and she didn't use social media in the way that Britney has. Mm. You know, but Britney, that was, that was the only thing in her toolbox when mm-hmm. she was in the conservatorship. So it's just natural that she's kind of reached for that same mm-hmm. tool again to smash mm-hmm. that glass ceiling, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. And I guess what I want to ask is, do you guys feel pressure to present a certain part of your life, the best part of your life, like the most fun part of your life, the most sexy on Instagram? Mm-hmm. Or do you oh, feel like you can mm-hmm. reject that? Yeah. Do you like, want to talk about that? I I remember talking about this with my psychologist around, you know, the need for constant attention or dopamine. And she gave me the challenge of of one day putting something up on my Instagram story that almost would be like an accident or just nothing, Mm -hmm. like a picture of a table. And that was my homework and challenge to do. And I just, I couldn't do it. You couldn't even just do it once. I couldn't do it once. No. What, What was the worst thing that could happen in your head? I, this is just going to sound very wank and arrogant, but I almost feel like people expect something funny or interesting from my stories or what I post. I don't know if that's just a projection that I've put on myself. No, I would agree with that. Your brand is kind of comedy and mm. shock value mm-hmm. comedy, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not rare for, if I haven't posted in a while, someone would message me and be like, oh, you haven't posted anything in a while or are you on an Instagram cleanse? And it's like, oh, actually, no, I'm just. I'm just really busy. I just don't have anything funny to say. Yeah, yeah. Which is often you a lot of the time. Well, I think, you know, comments like that probably fuel why I have this belief in my head that I need to promote something engaging or or something funny on Instagram. So the thought of doing something that was not that as a challenge. Mm. Yeah. It didn't fit with your your brand that you had created. No. You know what's interesting though? You're... You're posting on Instagram and social media. You post quite frequently and often, yeah, they're curated to your brand, like you said. But when you come to your dating profile, you have a lot of anxiety around what pictures to use and how you present and is this a good enough picture? And, you know, that's often conversations that we'll have. Mm. You know, you'll ask me to look at your dating profile and, you know, pick a picture or take more photos of you. Yeah, that's interesting. I have received that feedback before around I'm so good at promoting my brand in a social setting or a professional mm-hmm. setting. But when it comes to dating, nothing. Mm. I just It's a whole new ball game, yeah. though, isn't it? Mm. It's not those skills aren't necessarily translatable mm. or transferable, I should say. Because you can be really confident in a professional setting mm-hmm. and completely suck when you're going on a date with mm-hmm. someone. Mm. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So are you you're not speaking to the girl anymore? No. Mm. How's the rest of your Hinge experience going? Um, I actually managed to find one of our mutual friends the other night. Right, okay. So that was a definite big cross. <laughs> um, but apart from that, again, like I, I don't get enough feedback or dopamine from Hinge for me to use it as an app throughout the day. Like mm. I'd probably check it once every two or three days. Okay, yeah. Just because I'm not getting those likes or matches back. So. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. And I know we talked a bit about that in a previous episode, I guess why, you know, you think some of that is, but do you think it's something that you'll continue using and trying or do you think... If it weren't for our bet about shaving my head, I probably <laughs> wouldn't be on the apps right now. Yeah, okay. So you got a bit of work to do before March ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so interesting about that curated image on social media, but there's also a really, you know, creepy side to it around people mm. that you've broken up with or mm-hmm. people that are no longer a part of your life still seeing everything mm. that you do. Absolutely. My first boyfriend, which is a long time ago, like 2011, still contacts me annually through social media. I had my Instagram off private for a one or two week period recently just to enter a competition. You know how some competitions won't let you enter on Instagram, you know, win a free car or win this voucher for this place. Um, So I took my Instagram off private and Immediately, I got comments and messages all over some of my photos from this particular ex-boyfriend from 2011. It's almost like he, I don't know, it makes me think, how often does he check your profile to wait for it to be public? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's been, it's annually through Facebook, through even um, my phone number hasn't changed since I was 17. I even got a a call six months ago from him. And what's the content of these messages? It really, it varies each time. So maybe I should, should I go back and just talk about, I get a little bit about him and yeah. 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 So I was 17 when we met, I was working at Dome, Dome Cafe. Am I allowed to say brands on here? Yeah, Yeah. we want them to sponsor us. Maybe not Dome actually. (laughs) Yeah. So I was working at Dome Cafe getting $11.30 an hour in my summer holidays. Sexy. Yeah. And I'd, I'd never had a boyfriend before at this point in my life and I, I wasn't very um, confident, I guess, with dating, just kind of coming out of my shell and making friends. And um, this guy started working there. He was he was this Norwegian guy. You know, he had like his gelled hair, blonde hair. He smelled really nice. He'd always wear cologne to work. He went to the gym, you know. And 17-year-old me was like, oh, he's so cute and exotic. I, I really, I liked him at the time. But he was seven years older than me. And I thought, oh, there's no way that this could work. Then eventually we just started talking and hanging out and something blossomed into a relationship. And we we were together for a year and a half or so. And then things were good, but we didn't really have a lot in common. Six months into the relationship, I started noticing some strange behaviour from him. He was very rigid and obsessed with kind of working and studying um, because he was studying a master's over here and put like a lot of pressure on himself and he became a bit controlling, actually. So, What kind of things was he doing? So he lived in kind of like a, a small unit or flat and it was in like an okay area, but um, it got to the point where if I wanted to go for like a walk or something while he was studying at the flat, then um, he he would say no, he wouldn't let me go out. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah because I'd, he was studying and that would – what was his reasoning for that? I don't really know. He thought it wasn't safe in his own words and I think he just he just liked to exercise control over certain mm. things. Yeah. Like he physically wanted you to be around? Yeah, maybe. I'm I'm not really too sure. And then he just started to have certain kind of outbursts of behaviour and um I just got some comments from my family. I'm really close with my siblings and my parents and they, they started to say, Oh, you know, I I just think there's some red flags here. I think he thinks he's more family to you than we are. 
and I started to feel a bit more kind of uncomfortable in the relationship. So we got to the six month mark and I tried to break it off with him and it it just didn't it didn't go well. So he said he would crash his car into a tree. Well wait, what? Yeah, yeah. So I tried to break it off and he basically said you know, if you do that, I'll crash my car into a tree. That is an intense threat. Yeah. Was that a legitimate one? I don't I don't know. He was pretty isolated. He didn't have any other friends. He'd come from Norway. I was really, I guess, the only thing that he had in Perth. And um, he was a little bit, I guess, impulsive at times. So I don't know if it was a real th- threat or more just a manipulation play. But it's a horrible thing to do, regardless of what... The intention was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up staying with him for I think nine months more and he got a job after that, after he'd graduated from his master's and he had to go away for a month for training and that was my opportunity. I thought, okay, this is my moment. This is when it's going to be. There's a physical separation for us so I can actually break things off with him. So I did it over the phone, blocked him on all social media after that And then he was messaging kind of my sister. We had one phone conversation after that. And he always seemed to think that money was a big issue because he had no money because he was studying. So he would say things like, oh, you know, we can get back together. I've got some money coming in now. I'll buy all your uni books, et cetera. And I just, I was very done at that point. So I broke things off, blocked him off everything. Didn't speak to him. But annually, every year since then, so... That happened. I broke broke it off when I was nineteen. I'm twenty nine now. He he contacts me in some way, or shape, or form. What does he say when he contacts you? So, so the the messages are very strange. Sometimes they're just an update of his life. So a photo of him having you know lunch with friends. Or Is something. he still here in Perth? No, no. He's thank goodness he's in Norway, <laughs> and I know that because of the phone call that I got a while ago. But yeah, he'll, he'll update me with different photos or just things in his life or kind of what he's doing. You know how like apples and stuff have certain brands like Delicious? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Granny Smith. Yeah, exactly. He sent me some tomatoes that said Miss Perfect on the label. They were Miss Perfect tomatoes. <laughs> so specific. Yeah. And then had a little comment under there about how, you know, how I was perfect. Very, very strange. So this has been going on for a long time. Mm. Why do you think this person keeps reaching out to you, Ash? Oh, he sent a message a, wh- a few years ago. So just for context, I do block him on one account and then he'll rip. He'll make a different account and reappear. But he sent me a long message a while ago that basically said that he's never met anyone else in his life that he felt this way about and you know, being with me, that was the happiest time in his life, which is pretty sad. Sounds like it wasn't a happy time in your life. No, no, no. I I think he just, he must struggle with relationships and, you know, ways to connect with people. And I guess that time in our life was the most connected he's ever felt to someone. So I I can kind of get that side of things, but yeah, it, it definitely gets a bit much. Would you consider what he's been doing to you as abuse? I don't know. I don't I don't really see it that way. I definitely feel a bit freaked out and probably the the last phone call that I got was the most scary for me. So maybe 6 months ago I got a phone call at 5 in the morning and I didn't answer it. I woke up and thought who, who is this? My dad cycles 
And my first thought was, oh, is my dad injured or something? So I sent a message to it saying, who is this? Then I realised that the number was like an outside of Australia number. So I looked it up and it was from Norway. And I didn't immediately think of him. I thought of, I have another best friend who was living in Norway at the time. So I messaged him and I said, hey, did you call me? Is everything okay? And he said, no, I didn't call you. And I said, okay, I got a message from this number or a call from this number. And he said, oh, well, all information in Norway is public. So if you give me the phone number, I can look it up and we can find out who it is. And sure enough, it was this ex-boyfriend from when I was younger. And I thought, okay, that's a bit creepy, but I just left it, just thought, well, he's in Norway. There's not a lot that um, he can do. And two weeks later, I got a text from the number and it said, I did not ring this number, but I do recognise it. And then he sent through a photo. And in the photo, um, it was of his lounge room and a picture that was on the wall. And the caption read, it's you, it's on many walls. And it was a picture of me that he got adapted into a drawing framed hanging in his lounge room. Wow. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Disgusted. <laughs> Disgusted, yeah. I Just uncomfortable. Uh, I, I guess I feel like my privacy and rights are kind of invaded because mm. he uh, he has these photos of me, but it's just it's another part of me that I don't think of as me anymore but he's just still so attached to it and I don't know, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable. And the the fact is, you know, adapt. he's got the photo, he's adapted it to a a different type of image and is on his wall. Mm. And what do you think the intent of him saying it's you, it's on many walls is? What do you think he was trying to do there? I don't know if he's just got like he's seen too many rom-coms and he's kind of twisted it to, you know, the extreme. Like, you know, the scenes where someone's like running to the airport after someone and making like a big gesture, great gesture of love. I don't know if he's interpreting that as, you know, this is a really romantic gesture or he just wants the shock value and wants me to respond. Um, Mm. But it, I don't know, there could be many theories. (laughs) Ten years on though. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if he was in Perth, where I am, I would feel a lot more scared and worried. Yeah. But since he's in Norway, I think I just kind of compartmentalise it a bit and, and think, oh, well, he's not in the country. Yeah, true. Yeah. That, it does. Like I, I think I would feel like my privacy had been completely yeah. violated. It's yeah. almost like he hasn't got much of a response out of you. This is my theory, by the way. Mm. He hasn't got much of a response out of you. So he's kind of tried to place you into his life in Norway because you can't control that image of you. Mm. He's got control of that physically Mm. and he's kind of showing you Mm -hmm. that, you know, I've got you plastered all over my life whether you want to be here or not. Mm, And the idea that he sent that to you in a message as Mm -hmm. a threat to say, you know, you're in my life whether you like it or not Mm. is just so fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty scary. That is terrifying and I wonder how many other people have had experiences like that with him. Yeah, that's actually yeah. a good point. I never really thought about that. Uh, probably others, surely. I can't be the only one unless I, I'm the only person who's been close to him in his life. I have an experience that's a little bit similar to this, but the thing that's got me thinking about it is that I had a really bad breakup or break away from a person who was really toxic 
And when I looked back into his past, every single person that he had basically escaped this person had had a very similar story of years of him trying to get them back into his life. And that sounds like what, yeah, I wonder if that person's, yeah, had similar things. Yeah. Um, I think it's always when you're young, right? When you're young, you're so susceptible to anyone who shows you... Oh, 100%. ...affection, attention. I was 22 when I met this person and he mm. was very charismatic mm. and we had a little bit of, I guess, a whirlwind romance. Thinking back across all my relationships, I now see it to be basically just a week and a half of fun and and laughter, but really at the time I thought it was amazing. Mm. Um Again, lots of red flags that I won't go into about how controlling, manipulative and conniving he was. But particularly during the breakup, he constantly tried to get back into my life. We had a period of hurting one another, particularly him hurting me a lot and me kind of escaping from that, moving out of the the place that we shared and into um, an apartment with my friend. I never gave him the address, but I was scared that he was going to come and try and find me. He would do things like drop gifts off to my place that I used to work, asking people to hand it over with a note, Um, things that were nice, like vouchers for massage places and things like that. He would message me on every platform that was available. I mean, at the time, it was a lot of Snapchat and Facebook, Um, text messages, I used to get messages on dating apps from other people who would say, I was talking to this guy and he said he'd only go on a date with me if I sent you this message. Or the more extreme versions of that was when I would get messages from unknown numbers saying, I don't know who you are, but I know that your name's Jordan. And I know that because someone just paid me $50 to send you this message. So he was wiring people money so that he could use numbers that were unblocked to get to me. That is so intense. And would that message be followed up with anything? Uh, I never responded to any of those. I would then just block that number and say, save it with his name and then, you know, um, his name and, you know, trying to get to me. Would you feel like, did you have a feeling of not being safe? Definitely. Mm. Do you still have that feeling now? Similar to Ash, he doesn't live in the same state. Mm. He moved out of the same state probably about three months to six months after, but he would still come and visit for work and in which case I'd find the intensity and the frequency of those messages. I've even caught up with people um, since. I saw someone at a pool party a few years ago and he said, you know, that boyfriend that you were with, you know, this Mm. has come going back to seven years now. He said, I was with him one night. We were um, drinking and he was wrestling my phone out of my hands to get to you and your number basically because this friend had my number and it was unblocked obviously on my end. So that boyfriend was had been intoxicated and was again, he thought, wow, this is another avenue to Jordan and I know this person knows Jordan. Um, one of the most extreme, you know, it is the most extreme thing he did is he messaged my parents, he messaged my mum and threatened to release explicit photos of me to what to her yeah oh my god saying that um he needs me to contact jordan has to contact me i've got some images that i don't think you want to see oh my god yeah why what what do you think what did he think would happen once you'd contacted him i don't begin to understand how his mind works mm. i have no idea mm. i believe oh him god. to be either a psychopath or a sociopath mm. 
And I don't think that he operates in a cognitive space that we do. Mm. Um, I think when you're that focused on getting someone's attention, you will use anything Mm. in your power to do it. Even negative attention. I mean, it's not like you're going to turn around and say, okay, yeah, you know, let's be together. You'll turn around and say, this is absolutely fucked up and I don't want to engage with you, but that's more important to him, having that connection with you over anything else. Yeah. I can see your faces right now. I'm just so shocked. And I don't tell a lot of people this. Yeah. Maybe because I felt a little bit of shame that those images even existed of me. But I think that the older I get, I think, you know what, actually everybody has you know, media or content that they protect. Mm. And the idea that someone tried to use that to get to me is just so horrible. Mm. And you know what? I just thought of one more, and I think it was the last time he tried to get to me. And that was when I was studying for, I think it was my final exams. And I got a phone call from his mother Wow! saying that she wanted, you know, her son was trying to contact me and Mm. that I wasn't speaking to him. Mm. Um, I should point out this was probably, I don't know, four years after we broke up. So that gives you an indication of, yeah, how relentless this person was trying to get to me. Do you think his mum knows he's a bit of a sociopath? I don't even begin to know how to answer that question. What I will say is that I've spoken to his previous partners. I've spoken to one of them face-to-face and he has a similar experience. The other one I never spoke to apart from online, but I just knew it was a really toxic, messy breakup. Mm. which fits with my understanding of my own breakup Mm. with him. Mm. Yeah, what he did was abuse, emotional abuse to me. Mm. And I knew that shortly after it happened and I kind of remind myself every year when I think about him that that wasn't a relationship, that was abusive. Mm, Absolutely. It's terrifying that those experiences are out there and, you know, have happened to kind of both of us in a sense it's funny, the, the financial side of things, it's almost like they know that they haven't got much to necessarily offer, you know, emotionally, relationship-wise, safety-wise. So they throw out kind of finances and, and things like that. I remember one year getting in the mail six years after I had broken up with this person, a $500 voucher in the mail. What? Mm, what? Yep, yep. I tried to return it, couldn't return to sender. So I just ended up getting my little cousin. She was probably about 18 at the time and we went and spent it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I think you've dealt with the... Um, enough to... Enough to, <laughs> yeah, justify using that. Both very inter- almost stalkerish, psychopath. It's incredibly difficult to listen to and it makes me wonder, like, are they still monitoring or is there still some way that they're potentially looking at your lives through social media? And, and seeing what you're doing, like, it's... Mm, absolutely. That's definitely a huge worry for me. And, you know, even in those experiences where I put my Instagram off private for a week or two and then, you know, had comments on my photos from this particular person, it's made me kind of avoid entering those competitions now where I have to make my profile public and I tend to always keep everything on private, my Facebook, my Instagram, you know, Everything that can be accessed outside of Australia, I try and keep it really on private. LinkedIn, I don't post very much to LinkedIn either. Yeah, fair enough. What about yourself, Jordan? Because you're the opposite with your socials. 
Yeah, I guess I do have a different way of approaching that because my Instagram is public and I do share a lot more public data and photos and things like that. I suppose my method is blocking each person that I know is linked to them, each member Mm -hmm. of their family and every account that I can find. I don't think that's as effective as what you do, Ash, Mm. but for me that kind of gives me – I don't want to feel like I'm trapped from my social media or that I'm restricted about what I can post based on this one experience that happened to me that was really traumatic, mm. but I feel like it doesn't define me. It's not going to restrict me. Mm. I think if, if you want to follow or look at content of someone or pictures, you're going to be able to do it regardless of how private and locked down their profile is. So for me, my kind of the ending to my story is just continuing to live how I want to live. Yeah. And I guess everyone deals with it differently. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think your way in a way is a bit healthier because you're still being yourself and putting yourself out there. I mean, I'm a private person anyway, so I wouldn't necessarily have most of my socials on public, but, you know, I feel like it does kind of take away the option for me if I wanted to keep it on public. Definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, I made the choice to go public when I felt like, as I said, my relationship was becoming more public. And when I was doing that more, that international travel it was easier for people to say, oh, you know, like I'll follow you when you're outside Australia. You just kind of go, oh, okay, whatever, you know, I'll open up the account, get those connections. Um, I don't know. It makes sense for me to just be a bit more free in sharing mm. information. But at the same time, we always have to keep in the back of our mind what our job mm. is. We are healthcare professionals. Mm. And yeah, as I said before, that opens you up for a lot of not criticism, but vulnerability, basically. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Back to you, Ash, do you feel like because of your gender and being a woman, the risk of safety, like is is that potentially a difference between the two of your scenarios? I don't know. I can't comment on Jordan's experience because obviously he still felt, you know, he was in a very unsafe situation regardless of, and you know, I don't think, I think that crosses between both genders, but definitely... I feel like if I would have my profile in public, it would open invitations not only for that particular person that we were talking about to contact me, but other people. Like I have other friends who they have their Instagrams on public and people from all around the world will be kind of messaging them saying that, you know, I'm in love with you. Oh, you're so beautiful. You know, I I want you to be my wife or whatever it is. And they don't, they don't know her from a bar of soap, but it they feel like they're entitled to, you know, looking at a profile, looking at the way she looks, not knowing anything about her personality and making comments on, you know, like that, that they're in love with her and feeling they have the right to do that um, without thinking how uncomfortable that is for her. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's probably another reason in particular why I would keep that my, my profile private. On the flip side, this might be an uncomfortable question for you guys, but are there people, obviously, you know, we're not, you know, to the, the extent of kind of stalking like Jordan and I's stories, but are there people in your life that you kind of keep tabs on through social media, you know, maybe like old flames or people that you know it's not good for you, but potentially you'll just check their profile, check their Facebook, not contact them necessarily, but keep a tab on them? Yeah, I, I guess I could be guilty of that. It's interesting listening to your stories. I know they're next level, but like that desire or that want to be with someone, I, I kind of feel like I went through that myself, obviously. And I want to be very clear not to the level that those people did to you guys, but 
you know, that, that first romance or that first love that you have from, from someone and when you say goodbye to it or when it can't happen, I remember in the moment, you know, begging and I, I said to her, I'll, I'll do anything that you want just for us to, to be together. And yeah, wow. it, yeah, I, I don't want to say I understand, but I, I did feel like listening to those stories, I can feel, I don't think I'm like that now, but the, the old me of 10 years ago going through that experience, I could, I, I said to her, like, I, I, I just can't let go of you. I begged for her to hate me or to, to just be terrible to me so I could stop being in love with her. And just to be clear, I don't think you're anywhere near the people that Jordan and I were talking about. And I have had similar experiences to that where I've had my heart broken and I've cried and, you know, begged for somebody to be with me as well. So I think that's that's very normal. It's The difference is, I guess, we have the self-regulation, the boundaries and the respect mm. for that other person to not take it too far and, you know, invade their privacy. You know, the people who... I don't. I want to say. I feel like I want to say abuse, but I'm not comfortable. Mm, I feel the same. Yeah, the people who stalked and abused us, Ash, they didn't have those boundaries. Mm. Their priority, their number one priority, was getting their needs met, even regardless of how that might might make somebody else feel. And I don't know if it's a lack of perspective of how we might feel, or just a disregard of our perspective. But all I know is their priority was getting that emotional need met. And so, yeah, Josh, you're nowhere near that level at all. (laughs) It's good to know. (laughs) But, yeah, I I guess to to answer your original question, yeah, I I do kind of keep tabs. Like I've I've had to block her off basically everything except Facebook. But, yeah, I still see her updates. I'm still curious to get that hook in around, oh, how's she going? Or if I know people have interacted with her recently, I tend to ask the question, just because I want to hear about her life. But yeah, I mean, a few times I've reached out and have said I'd love to reconnect and catch up as a once-off. But I think, and I'm grateful for her for putting that boundary. She'd, yeah, basically Mm. just not respond, which Mm. I think is a good thing. Mm. I think sometimes in life, if you've been in a situation like that where, you know, you've loved someone for a very intense period of time, sometimes it's best to separate. and It just reopens the wound, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jordan? Do you keep tabs on people? Not really. I don't tend to keep tabs on people like that. I think when you break up with someone, it's kind of normal to follow their journey for a little bit, but I often find that dies off really naturally after about six months or so. Mm. I guess I have really good relationships with everyone that I've been in a relationship with, um, apart from that one person. And I find that I've come to a happy medium on my socials where I actually usually have their stories hidden, but that's because I feel like as they come through the list of stories, I tend to uh, I tend to start assuming things about their life or placing meaning on what they're doing. Mm, yeah. And I suppose my way of just clearing them from my psyche is just by hiding their story. Mm. Not because I'm really interested in them or I'm not interested. It's just easier to kind of hold them mm. away from me. Yeah. You don't want that temptation. You don't want an opportunity yeah. for that thought to come into your head. Yeah. I guess the temptation, as you, exactly as you said, Josh, is to watch and start assuming things about their life. Definitely. So maybe I kind of protect myself by putting that barrier in place. And, you know, if I want to look at their grid, I could pull it up. It's not something I would do, but, you know, the option is always there. Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably healthier. It's out of sight, out of mind. And I have the same approach. I will 
I don't think I I probably don't have as healthy a relationship as with my exes as you do maybe Jordan, but I definitely will adopt the strategy of unfriending or, you know, clearing people from my social media. But I guess every now and then, and I don't know if you guys feel it too, but you have like a twang of, oh, I wonder how that person's doing. And Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's human interaction. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the occasional stalk here or there. Yeah. No, I agree. I think keeping them away, there's no need to shame that. You want to keep yourself in a good headspace and not have to perseverate on emotions that you previously had with someone. Yeah. Focus on your life. Hmm. So that wraps up our conversation today. And Ash, I just wanted to say thanks for coming and sharing your story. I know that we didn't actually prep you to come with that story. So the idea that you felt comfortable to share that with us and the listeners is is really nice. So thank you for that. No yeah. worries. Thank thanks you. for sharing yours. Yeah, thank you to you as well, Jordan. I could see how hard and difficult it was to express some of those experiences that you both had. So thank you. All right, so to to wrap up, um, March is coming very soon and I quite like the hair that's on my head. So (laughs) single ladies listening to this podcast, (laughs) hit me up. I've got my razor ready, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) So you better get cracking. Thanks, guys. And yeah, thank you for listening. Please get in touch with us, myself, Jordan or Ash on socials if you have any feedback about this episode. Ciao, ciao. See you later. Bye.